the Russell Wilson era in Seattle is over. Is it Drew Locke or Geno Smith's team? It doesn't matter. The Niners were a dropped interception away, ostensibly, from the Super Bowl. But now it's Trey Lance's team upgrade or downgrade. And the Rams gambled their future on winning a Super Bowl, and it paid off. But McVay's staff was raided in the offseason, losing six coaches. And the team lost several key pieces on both offense and defense. So was it one and done or what? We'll discuss all this and more on tonight's Market Outlook for the NFC West. Set the opening bell. Welcome, everyone, to this episode uh, previewing the NFC West. Uh, I'm your host, Brett Matthew, with my co-host, Judah, at Throw the Damn Ball on Twitter, a regular contributor providing some awesome insights. And we have another new guest uh, this week, Yanni from Bet Crushers. Yanni, tell us more about you. Who are you? Why are you here? Hey, first of all, I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, I am a guy along with my partner, JJ, with the Bet Crushers. We are just a couple guys that have been gambling uh, for about two decades now and uh, got serious about eight or nine years ago. And we love kind of kicking around ideas, sharing content. And ultimately, our goal is to try to figure out how to beat the books as best as we can. Yeah, I love the work that you guys put out. I mean, we've been kind of talking and following one another for a few years now. You guys are religiously consistent with the delivery of your materials which i definitely appreciate just love the content you guys deliver so that's why you know really pumped to have you finally join so let's kick off look at the nfc west uh 2022 win total futures again these are from circa we're looking at the consensus market line right down the middle there in the green and then we have circa's alt high number and alt low number Judah and I have been leaning a lot into some of these all-overs and all-unders. We've done some research, and if you have high conviction, it definitely is kind of a plus EV way to really angle in and express your view. I don't know if I necessarily love any of these. I think we were talking a little bit before we started recording, and we know this is an ultra-competitive division. And so it's going to be a grudge match. It seems like, you know, the Seahawks have definitely lost a step now with no Russell Wilson. And I think Pete Carroll now is going to be exposed as probably one of the worst coaches in the NFL now that he doesn't have the security blanket of Russell Wilson. And so now they, they got a little, this division has a bit of a dumpster diver team in there, but they could still be sneaky. And then, of course, you have Rams, Niners, and Cards, all three of whom, you know, could potentially still you know, win this division, even though there is a contingency of the market that's certainly uh, down on the Cardinals. Uh, but I definitely think that they still have, you know, very high ceiling. But yeah, I don't have a lot of high conviction views really in any of these teams. So I'm going to demure pass to you, Judah. H- how do you, <laughs> do you have any high conviction in these teams? I don't, I don't. If I had a lean, I would go with the Rams under. They lost, they lost two guys on the offensive line and Andrew Whitworth and Austin Corbett. Uh, and kind of, they were already a Stars and Scrubs team to begin with last year. At a certain point, they lose enough pieces. They lose OBJ, they lose Von Miller. Uh, they lose a lot of their coaching staff. Any of their top guys go out. If Jalen Ramsey goes down, uh, this team's in for trouble. And not to mention that we kind of saw ceiling performances last year and the team only went 12-5. and five. Matthew Stafford had a career year. Is he going to repeat that? Probably not. All of that kind of uh, it crystallizes into some regression, 
but again, it's a weak NFC. The division might be good, but I under 10 is a, a hard bet. Uh, if I had a lean, I'd go there, but I'm not, I'm not enthusiastic about it for sure. What I think is interesting is Circa actually seems to be sneakily telling us that this is going to be an ultra volatile division and they don't want to pay you for the volatility. Look at these all prices. Rams plus 165. That's, that is really low. Plus 195, plus 200. Usually these are in the plus 205, 210, 215 or higher. We're looking at the all-unders. Niners, plus 180. Cardinals, plus 185. Seahawks, plus 180. These are very low numbers, certainly lower than some of the prices that we've seen from the other divisions. And again, that just goes to show you that Circa does not want to pay you extra to capitalize on volatility in this division because there's going to be volatility in this division. I think you guys nailed it. Um, volatility is probably the best word for this division. You know, the Niners to me are the interesting team in this group because you could convince me on an alt under or an alt over. I think this team has a very big floor and ceiling depending upon, again, you got quarterback questions with Trey Lance. And then the Cardinals, you mentioned Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray. I'm not sold on this team. It, it, this is the one line that I look at when I see eight and a half. I have them as a 7-10 and 10 football team this year, and I know Kyler Murray gives them a good chance to win, but I think you do have a little bit of wiggle room there if you want to look at the under there. We know over the last two years, I mean, midway through, Kyler Murray was leading, if not certainly in the discussion, for MVP. And then he gets banged up or hurt, and the team starts to kind of collapse around him. And then kind of betters and fans are left with a bad taste in their mouths, and they kind of forget about that first 10 weeks of the season again. And I feel like we're doing it again this year. But, and then of course, there's all those uh, gripes about Cliff Kingsbury that, you know, he prepares all off season, puts together a great, great game plan. And then the league kind of catches up to him by midway through the season. And he can't adjust in the second half of the year. When I look at this team, I don't really like what I see on either side of the ball. And they have depth issues, in my opinion, on both sides yes. of the ball. This could very well be Kingsbury's last last season in Arizona. I think I think it's priced exactly right, which is kind of for the wide range of outcomes. The defense was extremely lucky last year. They generated the third most expected points off of turnovers. Uh, and those almost all came from fumbles, which is especially fluky. Fundamentally, 10-11 win team last year that gets a little worse on defense. I think probably nine's the, the exact number. We'll get more into this when we kind of get into the Cardinals. But, I mean, to Yanni's point, they definitely have depth issues. Obviously, Hopkins not going to be playing the first six, six games of the season due to suspension. A.J. Green is another year older, and the dude was already old last year. Obviously, lost Christian Kirk as well. So, even if Murray is healthy, I mean, he's got a whole new kind of key components to be throwing the ball to. Is there going to be chemistry issues there? Also lost Chase Edmonds as well, and lost Chandler Jones. So we'll get more into that, but yeah, definitely a lot of a lot of questions around there. So one of the things that we've been looking at uh, is how has the market priced each one of these teams' offensive lines? So this visual here is basically a composite score that uh, equal weights the offensive line rankings from a host of kind of industry stalwarts like PFF, Four for Four, Football Outsiders. And so again, this kind of just gives us a proxy for where the market thinks that, you know, how good these offensive lines are. So Rams there ostensibly have the best offensive line ranked 13th 
Although I'm suspicious of that as well because they've lost two of one of their better offensive linemen here. And we can see that by the start of continuity, bringing back three out of uh, five. And we can see PFF dropped them four spots relative to last year, but still have them relatively high, almost a top 10 unit. 49ers right uh, around middle of the pack at 15. Cardinals 24th. Seahawks, one of the worst in the league. They're only bringing back two out of five, and those two aren't good to begin with. PFF dropped them seven spots from last year, and again, they were already bad. Let's talk a little bit more about how bad the Seahawks were last year and how bad they may be this coming year. 2021 came in with very elevated expectations, which is not certainly not unjustified with Russell Wilson at quarterback, never missed the playoffs. Uh, until 2021. So came in with a ex- uh, win expectation of 10, went 7-10, and 10, so missed by three games, went 9-8 and eight ATS, a $100 unit better betting the Seahawks on the money line and spread, lost about $400. Pythag had them around 9. Our Pythag 2.0 model had them close to 9, a little bit less than that. And we can kind of see from the power ranking volatility chart, start off with those very elevated expectations. And it was kind of a slow drip lower over the course of the season. And as people tried to kind of keep leaning into them, keep trying to buy the dip, you kind of kept getting let down. I know there were certainly some dip buyers in that Packers game and then uh, in week 10 and in that Cardinals game in week 11, certainly one of the more popular games where people were leaning into the Seahawks. And I think it was a Thursday game away uh, against Washington on week 12 there where uh, the broader public loved the Seahawks. Loved the Seahawks at minus one and a half on the road. There's a very disappointing Washington team. And that was the game where Russell Wilson, like kind of everyone is expecting him to bounce back. Just the team just never, never put it together. Russell Wilson never truly put it together either after coming back from some of the, uh, his injuries from er- earlier in the season. I think this chart raises a very interesting question, which is if you look at where the Seahawks were at their lowest point last year, at 19-20, and this is either with a, a very hurt Russell Wilson uh, or no Russell Wilson at all. Are the Seahawks powering to the 20th team now? What has really changed that's kind of uh, moved them down seven, eight, nine spots? Or is this initial mark from the middle of last season really just off? They are a bottom four or five team in the league, in my opinion. And, you know, occasionally when you see those bottom tier teams, you can say this team might be able to take a leap. I just don't see that with the Seahawks team. Dude, I, I like the point that you bring out is, well, they bottomed around 20 in 2021. And how much different are they this year? Although the markets dropped them 10 spots. What I would say is this is probably the Russell Wilson premium. That's like no matter how bad he looked, he was still going to command a certain amount of respect and elevate this team from a media perception and a power ranking uh, perspective. Ten spots, probably, yeah. When we kind of look at the game-by-game breakdown from 2021, this was something that I was really surprised about is that I feel like there's this perception, at least it was mine, that Russell Wilson missed a lot more games than he actually did. So Geno Smith came in, played those three games relatively early on. So week six, seven, eight. That's very early in the season. You're barely halfway through, not even yet. And then Wilson finished the last nine games and lost more than two months. And they still just did not perform well. And I was with you, Yanni, where I was thinking, 
before I kind of did a little bit more research on how they performed last year, I was thinking that this should be probably one of the worst teams, if not the worst team. One, because I'm really down on Pete Carroll as well. I think the loss of Russell Wilson is going to expose Pete Carroll for being one of the worst coaches in the NFL. And we're going to see it play out this year. This will be his last year. He signed through 2024, but I think this is certainly his last year. And they're going to go full-blown rebuild after this. I'm surprised that they just didn't do it this year. When you hear commentary from Pete Carroll, he's not framing it as a rebuild year. Obviously, the dude's like 70 years old. He doesn't want to do a rebuild either. And he's saying that they're still competing for a championship. I mean, it's great for sentiment, but no one believes that. Baker Mayfield was on the market. Jimmy Garoppolo was on the market. They did not make those trades. Uh, I do think they know they're tanking. Uh, P. Carroll is just trying to save his reputation here uh, as the player's coach. Yeah, I mean, that, that definitely could be. And one of the caveats I'm going to put is maybe I'm wrong about Pete Carroll. Because uh, I look at some of these max leads, okay? So how competitive were the Seahawks in games last year? I mean, 18, 15, 10, 15, 7, 7, 24, 7, 20, 7, 10, 31, 11. I mean, not only were they competitive in a lot of games, I mean, they had double-digit leads in a lot of games. When we actually look at the mean margin, so we look at how much were they winning or losing by multiplied by the time that they held that lead or deficit. And on average, they should have won 10 games. And so that means they just blew a lot of games. And Russell Wilson not playing well. I mean, look at these EPAs. Minus 21, minus five, negative 12. I mean, there was one that they lost at home versus the Bears. Pete Carroll specials to lose games that uh, you shouldn't you shouldn't be losing just for uh, being ultra conservative. And the Seahawks were really good in kind of the span where Wilson wasn't actually hurt. But if you look at just like the, the mean margins and the max leads, uh, like they were nothing without Russell Wilson. The column that's really interesting to me is the opposing QB, Wentz, Tannehill, Cousins, Garoppolo, uh, an old Roethlisberger, Winston, Lawrence, McCoy, Heineke, Davis Mills, Nick Foles, Tim Boyle. I mean, these are bad quarterbacks that they were playing against here, and they still only scratched out seven wins with that. I mean, this team is in a rebuild, rebuilding mode, whether they want to admit it or not. And Jude, I think your point was great. They could have mildly upgraded by bringing in Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo. They chose not to do that, which leads me to believe they don't believe they can win. What's difficult for me to comprehend, again, is, is where Pete Carroll is at the stage in his life I mean, he can't absorb a three or four year rebuild. And this team is nowhere near like flipping the switch and like turning this around in a year. Not only to your point around, did they not make a move in the quarterback market, but they really didn't make any moves. Basically Drew Locke, who they traded for, didn't even sign. And Noah Fant. And lost a lot. Obviously Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, their, def uh, their quarterback on defense. So lost both their quarterbacks, essentially. Uh, and Dwayne Brown, I know you've been posting a lot, Jude, about how good Dwayne Brown is moving into 2022 is, you know, we're at the stage we just had one preseason game. Does it matter who's going to be the starting quarterback here? First of all, who do you think is going to be the starting quarterback? And then does it matter? To me, it doesn't matter. Like now that there is no Russell Wilson, I think Pete Carroll can be who he always wanted to be which is a ultra conservative coach, as Judah, as you implied earlier as well. 
And now he's not going to have any pressure of having that kind of superstar quarterback where everyone's going to say, let Russ cook, let Russ cook, let Russ cook. And now no one's going to be asking to let Drew Locke cook or Geno Smith cook. And that's why one of your uh, kind of alt bets that you called out to that I think could potentially be really attractive is the fewest points scored at plus 750. So they already had like one of the least, the, the fewest amount of offensive plays last year. And that was with Russell Wilson. And now they know they don't have a good quarterback. So now it doesn't even, it puts even less pressure for you to be aggressive. You can really lean uh, on the run. And so again, just going to milk clock. And then even when they are on offense, are they going to score? So I love that. I love fewest points at plus 750. I think it's a good bet. And I really love it if it's Geno Smith there. Uh, so our Pythag 2.0 model doesn't like any bet for the Seahawks this year. They're facing the 11th hardest strength of schedule. And when I was kind of looking at this, pretty much every team in this division ostensibly and technically has a tough strength of schedule because they're all playing one another. Net rest plus one day. So essentially not really a factor and the mean spread for them is around plus four, so well over a field goal. And we can kind of see they're pretty much underdogs in every single game, except first some of the worst teams in the league. And then the rest are very heavy underdogs. And they're playing some of the best teams in the league. Obviously got to play everyone in their division twice, but also got to play the Broncos, the Saints, the Chargers, the Bucks, the Rams, the Chiefs. I mean, they're playing every single of the best teams so when you combine that with being potentially one of the worst teams in football, yeah, I, I think, uh, and again, if you if if my thesis comes to fruition around Pete Carroll actually being one of the worst coaches in the NFL, and he gets exposed for being that this season, I don't like many unders when it's this low, but the Seahawks look really bad and also have an extremely tough division. Anything else that you guys want to kind of close on before we move on? Seahawks are bad. Consensus. <laughs> Let's move on to the Cardinals. 2021. Again, we talked a little bit about uh, some of those takes from the Cardinals over the last few years. Again, started off very hot and then fizzled out over the second half of the season. But again, did play much better last year, even vis-a-vis -vis the year prior to that. Uh, win total expectations were eight. They ended up going 11 and six. So blowing past that eight, pretty much almost covered that number through the first 10 weeks of the season. Started off red hot, especially versus the spread. What one, two, three, four, five, six started off seven and two against the spread. And I know there's a lot of people fading the Cardinals. I was definitely one of them early on in the season. That ripped my face off. Uh, they ended up going 10 and seven ATS. So certainly again, cooled even from an ATS perspective in the second half of the season. Uh, won a $100 unit better betting spread and money line over $800. Pythag had them around 10 and a half wins. Our Pythag 2.0 model had them around 10. So still roughly the same. Their mean power rank was eighth. So again, very elevated. Uh, and their seven-day uh, power rank volatility was almost five spots. So really moving around uh, over the course of the season. Another thing that I was surprised by when I was looking at the quarterback breakdown was similar with Russell Wilson is I was under the impression, again, we know Kyler Murray got banged up. Uh, and that probably influenced his play. But again, when I think back, my kind of revisionist history is that Kyler Murray missed way more games than he actually did. So, I mean, we see here, uh, you know, Colt McCoy played three games. And then it was Kyler Murray the rest of the season. 
Chicago Burley missed three games last year. Yeah, and I think another thing that I would call out again is some another like really like excess volatility when we look at the max leads that the Cardinals held in their game. So, I mean, they basically had a lead in every single game except for two. Two games they didn't have a lead in. So in the other 15 games, you know, they had a lead. And so even in the second half of the season, when Kyler Murray was struggling and ostensibly Cliff Kingsbury wasn't at his best, they were still able to put together one, two, three, almost four double-digit leads in, you know, kind of those those last uh, few games. And so we look at the offseason changes, signed uh, Marquise Brown from Baltimore, going to have, I guess, maybe a little bit of a potential chemistry play there with Murray, who they both played in college together. But other than that, they really didn't make any other meaningful off-season additions. Again, it was really mostly net losses. Now, there's going to be six new starters. I think the uh, Hopkins loss is really massive. You make a good point with uh, kind of chemistry and of all the continuity issues. Uh, having Marquise Brown and Kyler Murray being played, like playing college ball together actually matters and, and really should kind of lessen the blow. Uh, and I think he represents a legitimate number one weapon. Uh, taking a next step for Ron Zalmore, uh, if they maybe change his route tree and let him uh, run routes past the line of scrimmage, that can go a long way. Uh, but there are there are reasons for optimism. Uh, and the wide receiver group actually, I think, is relatively deep. Uh, for a team that lacks depth, I think the receiving core presents options and a good quarterback, a good receiving group can go a long way. I think the Bengals proved that last year. The one thing that sticks out to me here is the loss of Chandler Jones. And I don't know for sure where that pass rush is going to come from on defense. We know J.J. Watt's still there. Obviously, he's had trouble staying healthy the last, what, three or four seasons here. And, of course, he's a little bit older. Judah, you mentioned Rondell Moore. I, I think he's a big key on offense there. If he, He's got the ability. If they can find ways to work him in, I think he can help that offense. This team has spent two first-round picks. They didn't have a first-round pick that, uh, this year, and the last two have been uh, you know, linebackers who haven't exactly panned out. Eventually, that's going to catch up to you on defense. Got good speed, but yeah, they need to be able to put it together. And I don't know if I'm going to be so soon to, to write them off yet again because it's still so early, one and two years in the league. The loss of Chase Edmonds, I think, is really big, too. He pro- provided such great spot duty for James Conner in uh, these kind of 21st century offenses. You really need two, three running backs to be able to kind of rotate and provide different angles and different talents and kind of bring something different to the offense. And I thought that Chase Edmonds and James Conner were super complimentary. The more we talk about it and we look at, you know, 2022, we look at the Cardinals 2022 schedule. You know, something Judah we were talking about is trying to figure out, all right, what is priced into the market? How is the market evaluating the Cardinals? Are we talking about all the same things that everyone else is talking about? Or is there something else? What else is there that's going to tilt you in one way or the other? And as we kind of opened, we think there's going to be a very competitive division. Maybe kind of everything that's priced in is priced in and there really isn't a lot of edge. That's one of the reasons why we don't really feel and have a lot of strong conviction in betting any of these teams. The thing is, what I would say is it seems like the market expectations for the Cardinals, given their potential ceiling, this is pretty depressed at eight and a half. Given that they won 11 games last year, we talked about how they were competitive in almost every single game, had a lead of 15 games. And so it's not like the 11 is necessarily a mirage. And so I'm almost talking myself into liking the over the eight and a half. 
Pythag 2.0, no, no bet. I think, Brett, you make a very good point about the market. I actually think, and maybe it's, it's hard to know exactly what the market is pricing. I think this is certainly kind of the sentiment. The 2020 Cardinals and the 2021 Cardinals are almost the same team and what's going to change in 2022. I think we've kind of illustrated that that's not actually true. What's frustrating for me is while I think that the market is actually coming at it from the wrong angle, I think we end up in the same spot, which is that I think the offense is actually going to be better. The defense is fraudulent to me, but if you're relying on Marcus Golden and what's left of JJ Watt to, to be your pass rush uh, without pretty good secondary, your defense is probably not going to be good. So I think there's a massive regression on their defense coming. There's really no talent there. When we look at the total scoring margin over expected, so how many points uh, is this team expected to score and how many points are they expected to give up on a week-to-week -week basis? You know, they were plus 2020, they were plus 22 and a half points. And 80% of that was actually from the defense outperforming and not from the offense outperforming, which I feel like if you kind of just asked anyone, people would say that this is mostly an offensive driven team and that if they're going to beat expectations, it's coming from the offense. But actually last year, a super majority of it actually came from the defense. And we know that they've lost a lot of pieces. We've lost their quarterback on the defense, Chandler Jones. If you're going to experience a major regression from that defense, that could actually eat into a lot of those games. All right, 49ers, 2021 came in uh, with win expectation of 10. Met expectations, went 10 and seven, went nine and eight ATS, a $100 uh, unit better, essentially broke even. A lot of volatility from the Niners, kind of up and down, up and down. Uh, their weekly power rank volatility was about 3.3 spots. Their mean power rank was 14. Their opponent mean power rank was 15. Pythag 1.0 had them around 10 wins. Pythag 2.0 had it around 10 wins. They actually had 10 wins. So it seems like the, you take a step back and the averages were like, oh yeah, that's what we expected. But, you know, kind of in between, there was a bunch of kind of volatility. This team had a lot of injuries throughout the course of last season. And I think yep. some of that volatility may factor in there. They had key guys out at different times during the season. It also just corresponds generally to what we know of the Niners, right? Which is conference championship, badly missed the playoff. Yeah. Conference championship, this team is just extremely variant and volatile. Uh, and that's only added with, with Trey Lance coming in. A lot of disagreement in the market around the promise of Trey Lance. There's some that are completely writing him off that, you know, it's certainly not going to work out. And then some that think that he has a massive high ceiling. And maybe you could, that speaks to how the team is positioning around Trey Lance as well, because you're talking about, again, they were potentially one play away from potentially going to the Super Bowl last year, returning to the Super Bowl for what, like the second time in three years. And now you're saying, we need a quarterback change. And we're not saying always that was Jimmy G was like unilaterally responsible for even getting the Niners there, but he did provide the stability. But now you have a more volatile quarterback, the head of your team. And maybe for that reason now, it doesn't come together. We saw him play twice last year. Neither game was very good. I mean, does the situation not remind you a little bit of the Kansas City Chiefs when they had Alex Smith? They didn't feel they could get over the top with him. They went with Mahomes. And I, I feel like San Francisco's kind of in a similar spot there. They have a talented roster, but you're right. We, we don't know what we're going to get with Trey Lance. Could this be another Kansas City Chiefs situation where he comes out and lights it up? 
or is he not that guy in which case all of a sudden everything changes there and, and unfortunately that that's just something that it's impossible to know until we have a little more data yeah that's a very actually salient uh parallel in the chiefs instance uh again they were still making the playoffs still had a relatively explosive offense i mean alex smith was able to take advantage of tyree kill travis kelsey uh etc certainly not the way that mahomes has since done but there was obviously something that the coaching staff saw in kc through practice and whatnot that made them feel comfortable saying we have a good team but we're comfortable moving on from the steady piece because it's just never going to be good enough and we need more of a firecracker and so maybe that can potentially speak volumes that the Niners see something that we don't necessarily see that gives them even more conviction that they're comfortable moving on from Jimmy G. My only caveat there would be, is there a lot of pressure on Kyle Shanahan, the coaching staff, and just the organization writ large? Because they've already invested a shit ton in Trey Lance. I mean, what, three first round picks? I mean, you have to give him the keys. You have to. The thing is what I would push back on on what you're saying, dude, around there's a lot of question marks around Trey Lance, but this is not the Cardinals eight and a half. You know, I don't think this is pricing in really even that much uncertainty. This is this is saying it's going to work. You right. do not have a 10 win expectation for a team that has a lot of question marks. If it was eight and a half, I would say definitely strongly agree. The market is uncertain how good Trey Lance is going to be. Well, this to me is saying they think Trey Lance is going to be good. A question of how much the market is pricing in Trey Lance, which is that. Sure, so even the Delta, I, so the Delta between Jimmy G and Trey Lance. Yes. Is net positive? I don't know, but I think the market's basically saying there's no difference at all. I think, I think they're projecting like 20th best quarterback. I, I think the big difference between when we look at the Cardinals and the 49ers is just the roster i mean they're basically saying we can put anybody at quarterback in san francisco and they've got enough pieces and coaching around that person to be successful but lance did look really good in their preseason game and again we can't put a lot of credibility or a lot of stock into that but yeah i mean if you're looking for he looked sign, good last preseason too but at least when you look at that I think you can look and be encouraged and say, hey, it's not like he went out and, and you know, just fell on his face there. So, but I think you're spot on though. I, I think they're looking at that and saying, Jimmy G, Trey Lance, whoever, throw whoever back there at quarterback and this team's going to find a way to win 10 games. Even to add to your point, a ton of continuity on this team, as you see, it's just the quarterback. Position. Sure. That's the only thing that's changed. And I, I do like that point too. It doesn't matter who's at quarterback because we've seen what, like, Shanahan has made work of guys like Bethard, uh, Mullins. The thing is, again, I don't know if Trey Lance is going to be the 20th best quarterback. I feel like he's going to be like a top eight quarterback or a bottom two quarterback. Like, I just feel like that's the skew and which makes me like not comfortable with, with something like a 10. I think the question of Trey Lance is also like, are they going to unleash Trey Lance at all? Right, he might just play the kind of Jimmy Garoppolo game. If Kyle Shanahan really is this genius, he'll make life extremely easy for him. So when we look at the the schedule, this is one of the easier schedules within the NFC West. In fact, so I guess that could help support this ten. Got a breeze in the first six weeks here. I'm a little bit down on the Broncos. I could see the Niners being five and one, and they get to play the Rams at home on prime time. So again, some a little extra enthusiasm there as well. This is a good way to kind of bring a new quarterback online. Even look at the back end. The back end is, is, is not even that intimidating. 
there's no guarantee in the NFL. We know that, but but they've got half a dozen what I think most people would consider layups on their schedule. There's a little less pressure there, and like you said, especially if they start out hot there, if they're five and one or, or even four and two, you know, it gives Lance that cushion to maybe get comfortable, get in a groove where he can work out some of those early season bugs if there are any. Just one more data point here, which is if you look at the games they play against the AFC West and the NFC South, the divisions they play. They have the bottom teams in that division, mm -hmm. Carolina and the Falcons and the Broncos and the Raiders all away, which means they're playing the toughest yeah. opponents actually all at home. Chargers, the Bucks, the Saints, all at home. Good call out. Yeah, and that kind of just feeds into this, kind of having a 13th easiest schedule, certainly the easiest schedule that we've seen thus far when previewing these NFC West teams. All right, so let's go move into the Super Bowl champions, the favorites to win the division. Uh, again, they were one of the favorites to win the division last year and also one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl last year. It all came to fruition. Uh, they made some huge bets, really have gambled away draft picks, spent a lot of money. They, you know, captured the crown last year, so it worked out. But really, again, as we opened up at what cost, they certainly already lost some pieces this offseason, which we'll get into. Again, going into last year, had elevated expectations, 10 and a half wins, went over, finished season 12 and five, but didn't perform well from an ATS perspective, eight and nine. You know, obviously we can see like there was actually some, quite some volatility here. And I, I think it was this period here, losing versus Tennessee, losing versus the Niners, losing versus Green Bay in three consecutive games. This is where I think Twitter especially started to really light up, really questioning the Rams, roster construction, franchise management. Oh man, they did all this to win the Super Bowl and now they just lost three games in a row. They're barely even a top 10 team. What are they gonna do now in the future? This season is lost. Oh man, Matthew Stafford, like he's not performing up to expectation. And this this was a bad one. This was ugly. The Titans was Sunday Night Football and they were missing. That was I think the True, first yeah. Yeah, that was a big... I don't think AJ Brown was even playing and Stafford threw a couple uh, bad picks. Everyone was watching. Uh, they had a buy in there also. Uh, those four weeks kind of sit with you. And then this one, man, yeah, minus four, get slaughtered by 20 at home. This is when I, I tried to buy the bottom on the Rams. Man, I was so close. So close. If, and if the Rams would have won this game and covered, I probably would have kept leaning into the Rams and made a shit ton of money. But then I'm like, ah, fuck, I was wrong. They're going lower. <laughs> and then they proceeded to rip into the end of the season. So bottomed there in that game against Green Bay. Super square on the road versus Green Bay as favorites. And I bet the Rams. I think the Y-axis here is actually relatively small, especially for the divisions you yep. see. Which is five spots. Because they were supposed to be or thought to be a Super Bowl contender, it almost felt a lot worse than what was actually happening. Like they were never below a top 10 team uh, at any point. Yeah, so we could see like, uh, again, from a game by game breakdown, here's that that nasty little dip from Stafford. Market loved the Rams all season. I mean, this is all green. I mean, we're a top 10 pick in the Super Contest. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. See from a bet percentage, I mean, 80, 75% every single week. And again, eight and nine. Super Bowl champions. So it just goes to show that you know, just because we're one of the best teams in the league doesn't mean you're going to necessarily uh, make money betting on them. Offseason changes, 
again, brought in Bobby Wagner from Seattle, division rival, 31 years old. Not sh- maybe he's got a year or two left. Again, linebacker, starting to lose speed, agility, athleticism. Mm-hmm. Allen Robinson had probably his worst year last year. Was it more of a byproduct of playing on a miserable team? Or, again, is he kind of crossed the Rubicon and, and no longer what, what he was? Uh, and then try to shore up a little bit of the secondary. But, again, mostly losses. Again, lost two starters, Whitworth and Corbett on the offensive line. Lost Von Miller. Lost a couple other folks on, on, the, on the defense. And lost six starters themselves. I think those offensive line losses are big. I mean, they are playing with that short window, trying to get as much as they can out of it. Like we said, it worked out last year for them. They certainly could work it out again this year, but that's a tough task to ask any team to repeat. Yeah, I'm with you there. In fact, again, a lot of the players that kind of came together and turned out to be Super Bowl heroes were all players that were not even here week one. Odell Beckham, Von Miller, Eric Weddle, all those players were signed like in the second half or traded for in the second half of the season and turned out to play meaningful roles on this team and push them over the edge. So maybe that's something that, again, that they do this year is they kind of tread water, you know, kind of maybe go through a bad spurt there, but they have a sufficient amount of talent. Uh, they ha- still have a great coaching staff. Although what I would actually add in the losses, and I kind of uh, mentioned at the beginning as well, is the McVay staff. I mean, lost six coaches. When you continue to have that brain drain, when does that start to affect conditioning, again, game planning, player happiness? Maybe they had a personal tied to a specific coach or whatnot. I mean, that's the type of stuff that, you know, we don't really see kind of behind the scenes, but these are still human beings who have new bosses. Uh, and that can always be, you know, potentially disruptive. So as we go into 2022, again, win total a little bit less than what it was last year. So we're at 10. Model, our PyPag 2.0 model, likes a bet. This is only, I think, the fourth or fifth time that we've seen it. Likes the Rams under. So agrees with you, Judah. I think I'm the, four for four here right now. Second hardest strength of schedule. Net rest two days means spread around minus four. So, I mean, elevated expectations every week. And if you start to sustain any sort of those injuries, again, we're talking about, as you mentioned in the beginning, Yanni, I mean, Stafford in his arm, is in his elbow. Like, point about injuries is actually very important with the Rams, which they've been one of the uh, luckiest teams with regards to injuries over the past four or five years. A lot of fragility here. It's not just it's the coaching staff. It's the loss of players, but it's also just it's, it's things like injuries. There's a lot of uh, pricing in the Rams. Regression that I think is you can actually be pretty confident in. Anytime a team does win the Super Bowl, there is some element of luck that factors in there. And it, they kind of got hot at the right time. Things fell into place for them, and it's hard to imagine that they're not going to have a little bit of regression with some of that going into this year. And if it happens with a guy like Stafford or a, a Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, they don't have the depth. I don't even think they should have won the Super Bowl, like in the Super Bowl. And they were a dropped interception away from uh, losing in the NFC Championship. They barely squeaked by Tampa Bay when Tampa Bay lost right. both their offenses. I mean, it required a perfect throw from Stafford. Uh, to, to cup in stride. Yeah, the Rams were just a sliver better and like multiple games that were all absolutely necessary in order for them to actually end up kind of winning the Super Bowl. Although I don't think that's necessarily like super unusual. I feel like, you know, we all know kind of football, game of inches, things like that. Definitely 
personified by the Rams last year. But again, looking at this 2022 schedule, I mean, there is just no respite, no respite. Stretches of games where they're going to be playing super tough competition, getting beat up. I mean, the Niners, Bucks, Cards, Saints, Chiefs, all in a row. And then kind of get a mini break versus the Seahawks. Then Raiders, Packers, Broncos, Chargers. And that's to start off the season with Bills, Cards, Niners, Cowboys. You can start to see this unravel. And then when you have a more fragile offensive line, that's the perfect recipe, actually, for this to start to, to, to unravel. And again, the expectations are still pretty elevated. My, minus 235 to make the playoffs. All right, but we'll take we'll take the 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 10 the 10 under. All right. Uh so that wraps up uh our division preview of the NFC West. Uh thanks Judah, thanks Yanni for joining. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh we'll see you next week when we preview the best division in football, the AFC West. Uh and that's closing bet. <laughs>